you know how much in the physical world our mind is captured and limited by reliance habitual reliance on tools whereas the reality of the soul even in this life is to go beyond any limitations go beyond any physical uh, basically challenges and how the mind over matter is the manifestation of a powerful soul welcome to leaders labyrinth i am your host michael grant we take you on a journey with resilient individuals who share how they have achieved the extraordinary this show is designed to empower you to take the lead in your life's quest through the wisdom of our leaders inflicting truth possibility and fueling your hearts with passion of what sets your souls on fire to becoming your best version of self. Bahá'u'lláh, spiritual leader and founder of the Bahá'í Faith, once said, Be generous in prosperity and thankful in adversity. Be as a lamp unto them that walk in darkness. Be eyes to the blind, a breath of life to the body of mankind. A dew to the soil of the human heart, an ark on the ocean of knowledge, a gem on the diadem of wisdom, and a shining light in the firmament of thy generation. Today's leader in our season one finale of Leaders Labyrinth is a world-renowned global peace and economic development strategist, a visionary who is working to create a better world. He develops foreign policies for peace by collaborating with world leaders, he has helped transform the fate of nations by bridging the corporate gap between the Eastern and Western worlds, starting with China and creating a global movement for peace through his expertise in business and economic trade. He has been appointed by 20 municipal and regional governments as the senior economic advisor to the nation of China. He has been stated as the most influential foreign figure in modern China history. He has masterfully guided the first ever zero bullet peaceful transition of power in Africa, Zimbabwe in 2017. He is the founder and president of Future Trends Group, a global group of companies operating in over 120 countries. He also serves on the board of directors for One Education, One World, a global nonprofit that serves underprivileged children through education. It is my sincere honor to introduce to you Dr. Farzam Kemalabadi. We are here exploring the depths of the labyrinth with visionary, pioneer of bearing peace in international policy and leader of global economic innovation, Dr. Farzam Kemalabadi. Dr. Farzam, how are you feeling today? Oh, great. Greetings and blessings to all the audience and to you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for opening your home for us to record here in Rancho Cucamonga today. Wonderful to see you in my short trip to the U.S. in the L.A. area. Welcome. Fantastic. And a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, Dr. Farzam, so just a little background for uh, our audience. You're a man of tremendous influence, enabling world leaders to reimagine their policies, uh, economy and infrastructure for creating peace and unity through systematic transformation on an international scale. You've been named the most influential foreign figure in modern China history, have been appointed by multiple municipalities and regional governments in China as senior economic advisor. You are the chairman of Future Trends, which has been instrumental in de definitive policy changes 
and new policy making on a national level. And you've uh, submitted proposals to the leaders of China titled China Peace versus China Threat, which has been endorsed and signed by the president, uh, Zhang Zemin. And you masterfully guided the first ever zero bullet peaceful transition of power in Africa, Zimbabwe in November 2017. So your career has been dedicated to bridging the corporate gap between the Eastern and Western worlds. You indoctrinate a powerful vision of spirituality, business, policy, wisdom, theology, technology, philosophy, and life that creates a positive ripple effect in large-scale economies for empowering its people. So with all of your innovative spirit and barrier-breaking influence on policymakers and international business leaders, can you paint for us... What does that picture inside of you look like that pushes you to operate at this magnitude to make a positive impact on the world? Well, you depicted a whole avalanche of uh, title topic situations and uh, probably mystery behind anything and everything is the purity of motive, the humility and being the servant for the world of humanity, caring about the destinies of humanity and of the people around you and far, those that you do know or those that you don't know. For that matter, future generations included. Beautiful, beautiful, thank you. So I wanna ask you a big question. Uh We will make it simple, don't worry. What is the meaning of life? Uh Aha. First of all, there is individual life and there is collective life and there is life beyond uh, levels and realms that we know. And for me, life could be a passive life or a very proactive life to be the source rather than the weakling, follower, taker, consumer and sometimes and often destroyer. No. For me, life is about that little inkling that multiplies itself to the highest quality of excellence that is possible and impossible. For me, life is that self-consciousness, awareness, gnosis, anywhere it exists. Privately, collectively, in the universe, in the mega-universe, which we call God, or in the what we call humble universe of us individual human beings. It doesn't matter in which planet we are, by the way. Consciousness caught in the physical reality that is called the human spirit in the current stage of our evolution and existence. So for me, life is all the, what we call it, the rainbow of the joys, the good, the bad, the ugly, but we would reduce the bad, we go away from the ugly and we will enhance and empower the good. That for me is called directional self-awareness, ever-elevating form of life. Beautiful, beautiful answer. Couldn't ask for more. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Do you believe that after our death, there is another life beyond this uh, dimension. Well, I don't even believe the word after Hmm. because all the worlds of God are in one world. They are only levels and layers and we call dimensions or realms. And it is only a transfer in the physical eye, a transfer and transformation into the other realm. 
while we are here we are like the what we call electric uh, conscious forces interacting with the lamp of our physical bodies the lamp which is a very simple just glass and wire actually is the receptacle not the producer and so when the physical receptacle is now we can call it uh, substituted and uh, pure reality of consciousness of the soul is continuously freed from the physical reality the full consciousness and full memories and full personality plus the God-given awareness in the realms that are appropriate for their uh, level or dimension will continue much more with limitless power and self-awareness and also all the collected goods, habits, characters, spiritual qualities like I call them the spiritual arms and legs and hands and uh, eyes and uh, perceptions will remain and the soul is much more aware and much more powers because not the limit of any physical limitation can be fully at the same time all the time and all the realms can traverse and travel and be still continuous source of inspiration and revelation and also creation so it will be creative force in its own higher realms the realms of light and in this physical plane so actually the souls never depart they only gain more powers and are released like the bird that was in the cage is now released it will never want to come back to this cage but yet in its own uh, and the analogy is of course a faulty analogy because the differentiation between a bird in a cage released and freed into the entire ecosystem of beauty and the soul being freed in the other worlds that differentiation is millions of x of more exhilaration and freedom and powers beyond our imagination now but we can refer and defer by knowing some of the physical realities and analogies to understand what will happen so the soul uh, like the sun that is reflecting in the mirror the mirror breaks but the sun is ever there eternally now is independent of any tools and instruments you know how much in the physical world our mind is captured and limited by reliance habitual reliance on tools whereas the reality of the soul even in this life is to go beyond any limitations go beyond any physical uh, basically challenges and how the mind over matter uh, is the manifestation of a powerful soul wonderful wonderful thank you so much for that do you feel that our quest here in the human form is to find a way to enlighten ourselves or, it, or to be of service to others? Um, because we all have darkness and we all have light. Uh, we're not really shown the path to foster that light uh, in, in modern society. Um, and we're programmed very systematically in a, in a system that's been evolved over the course of humanity. And... Um, I feel that in the population in Western culture, uh, we're very closed off from uh, a, a path of spirituality where a lot of that education has to come from a personal 
path and it's not gradually given in in the uh, educational curriculums um so my question is um would you say that's one of the paths of divinity of being human is exploring these spiritual realms of oneself well first of all we need to understand phenomena any phenomenon uh, basically we understand the reality or the essence of things the reality of man or the reality of humanity is his soul is his mind it's free will and choice a gift god given the creator or we don't even need to use the word creator because it limits it is an analogy itself so in the chinese they call god as the mother of all creation so it is the analogy of mother giving birth whereas we use the analogy of creator almost like a carpenter or engineer creating things both of them are not realities they are analogies so for me the reality of human is that we are at the highest or apex of material world so from the realm of mineral to the realm of the vegetable that has the power of uh, augmentation and then beyond that the realm of animal which has the power of sensations and many other human is at the apex of that but that same human is at the lowest level the beginning point of the spiritual world in fact human being is the only being that is the dual in nature being that the apex of the physical world and the beginning journey of the spiritual world and this hook is connected together in the form of the body and the mind and the soul now the driver is the mind and the soul and the driver is given free will or wheels to turn around any direction the fuel may be given but the direction is the driver the driver is the soul and even god does not override so it is a gift that even god does not override except in exceptional cases first in overall enlightenment maybe maybe in the traffic guidelines maybe in the uh, these are all analogies but the point is that that soul has the ability to draw the be the best or the worst and uh, it is a matter of self enlightenment self enlightenment or revealing your own qualities or building your own qualities by awareness and the awareness is not only on one dimensional is the awareness of emotions of the heart of caring of certain spiritual principles that we are taught but we never thought about the meanings of them or the origins of them or the realities of them or how sincere we should be to basically emulating and internalizing and uh, then externalizing and revealing so these are phenomena of i call tests as well as refinement and as drawing and bringing out the best and the best is limitless we put too much roof over our head too much walls and windows around ourselves and we don't know that the perfections are limitless and one soul's powers once accumulated self-aware willed directional 
one soul that is compounded in spiritual powers and mental powers and will powers and the good will powers and the purity of the motive power will affect an entire continent more than even nations and can be the cause of the change in the destinies of the entirety of humanity so as in the physical world there are laws we put a stone in a pond and the ripple effect starts and it goes far but it dissipates in the spiritual world is actually the reverse a little pure action will last thousands of years and will become amplified and will become a mighty torrential wave and it is that it is the mm, the whole thing is really like a mining of the soul to draw down that precious little jewel that was hidden beneath the seven mountains and behind the seven mountains and beneath the seven oceans it is drawing out of your own qualities of perfection and creation that is a sharing of the qualities of God God has given us the chance to share in his qualities and in his process of revelation to the messengers of God in each human being I believe that every human being possesses the ability to affect change on a massive scale we all have different qualities attributes but the belief system is what is limited and you know in my experience I have found that what I can visualize the more chances I can materialize or crystallize and if I can figure out a way to bring that vision into my mind and make sense of it and then start applying a process to achieving that particular goal most of the time that goal does get achieved yes absolutely you referred to the enormous uh, mighty powers of the human mind and actually it is easier to understand how grand and powerful the mind and its ability to affect change can be if we look at the negative part first because the negative is more obvious so we know everyone takes Hitler as the like highest symbol of the destruction and of the evil of humanity in reality as a child I read his life stories and I never sympathized but I understood him somehow I didn't make a judgment but I understood that how even sometimes a refined you know as a great painter as a great child can be self lured to the abyss or to the misdirections whereas with even sometimes the road to hell is paved with good intentions and sometimes not actually uh, with good intentions with evil intentions so even one soul can be wrecking so much havoc imagine if that same soul was doing all of that for the good a hitler with that power of nations and nations but creative and building the human civilization imagine how powerful that would be so from the association of the extremes of bad which is easily observable let's understand the highest quality of good that exists in us and let's exercise that you spent uh, a lot of time in china a uh, couple a couple decades right about 20 years 33 years oh, 33 together, years yeah. thank you have you adopted the chinese uh 
philosophies on spirituality and have you learned has that curbed your spiritual awareness spending time in china for that many years uh, you can say that uh, from childhood even in the small villages of iran and being of course uh, in the islamic society but yet becoming a bahai family we had we can call it a universal realizations uh, what i call things that belong to the future civilization of humanity but is drawn down to current so then the mind was global universal inclusive of all religions we knew the what i call progressive revelation that uh, humanity is one the oneness of the world of humanity in fact the oneness or you can call it the singularity of god we don't want to even use the word one for god the oneness but you can say oneness and singularity of creator and the oneness of religions and the oneness of the world of humanity and having come to us and in fact from childhood in my hometown i went to a very far uh, remote dark corner of a shop and i found a three dimensional beautiful photo of jesus christ lie uh, uh, stepping down on a stone and looking up in the nature towards god and the eye powerful with the face so radiant and i put it up on my wall for 3 years so we would learn from the quran from uh, uh, the bible especially i love the new testament and especially king james version the red lines the direct sayings of his holiness christ and in the supreme example of sacrifice and the same that uh, with uh, original pure buddhism uh, when i went to china and i learned and especially taoism which for me to understand it truly it creates a common denominator of all religions and uh, so for me the diversity of the spiritual disciplines or uh, orders or knowledges to combine them was not uh, let's say esoteric and by force or by trying to uh, find the contradictory things and put them together and an ad hoc no it became a natural way of understanding how a reality can grow from the seed to become the entire tree and from the root to the fruit for me the entire experiences of human civilization spiritual uh, orders and teachings are part of an entire we can call it the chapters of one book uh, and so it was natural the chinese type of uh, spirituality and the highest in the book of tao and uh, i went deep understood that that wasn't the origin that was only like an uh, uh, bow the central point 2500 years ago beyond that another 2500 years that's the end of the zhou dynasty the end of what we call it etiquette and uh, we can call it the codes of law and way before that 5000 years of the divine land shenzhou which had shenxing the divinity of the divine land a civilization that had solved several issues that are our challenges today first unanimously and uniformly they had understood god and they had understood god as an innoble essence uh, a noble essence noble unknowable essence noble unknowable but real existing essence had realized that the effect of that divine source goes throughout all generations and history 
that the effect is very real and that one can emulate and internalize through the through all the qualities of Tao, the origin, or we can call the divine origin. And that how that can be emulated through the dynamic power of Shangren, of the holy saint, or the perfect man, or the manifestation of God. And how the ancient unknowable reflects through all the qualities in creation and how we can learn lessons from and then directive lessons from that holy soul that appears every thousand years or so. And Chinese civilization knew it all five, seven thousand years ago. And I discovered them even in the hieroglyphic language and I created a movement of a lot of Chinese scholars to go and search for those origins and all those sacred writings and basically to go and search for a divine personality like Jesus Christ, like Muhammad, Prophet Muhammad in the ancient Chinese civilization, which is now lost to history, but signs of it and statements and sentences that uh, shed a lot of light are there. So in China, it, it is not misunderstandings of today that Taoism is all about nature. No, it is all about supranature, not supernatural, but supranature. The total consciousness, which is the origin of creation. They call it The entire universe of creation has a beginning. And that beginning is not just in time beginning, it's in origination. And that beginning can be named the mother of creation. And it says, I don't know its name, I don't know its reality, but I know it exists. So therefore I term it temporarily a name called Tao. And the Tao writing is the first will, the first movement, the primal cause, the primal movement that will never dissipate. And that the highest manifestation of that is in the Holy Soul, who becomes the pattern of universe, becomes the supreme exemplar. Even a divine uh, king should adopt all the realities of that sacred soul and popularize it. And if he does so, the whole realm gets organized because all the low-level criminals, they rectify themselves. Why? Because the leader is rectified. The leader is rectified. Why? Because the divinity is rectified. The divinity is rectified because in the special soul of the perfect man that appeared, all the lessons uh, are there in the perfect form. So it is a very interesting way of combining Christianity, Islam, the Baha'i faith, and Buddhism all together in the, in the descriptions of the Tao. So we can believe that there is unity in diversity. And I use the analogy, there was only one time in China, there was only one time that there was a live television interview about religion. It was uh, Mr. Yang Rui, uh, the program Dialogue, and I was before that about 30 times a uh, very trusted uh, interviewee. So there was only two people, one Chinese from the government and myself. <clears throat> they trusted to make a live interview about religion. And the analogy I used was the mountain. So at the peak of the mountain, what we call God is one and the same. Close to the peak, the nine founders of the nine religions, or you can call many more, but of course the main ones, they are very unified. They're close to the peak, they see each other, they see the peak. When it comes all the way down to the very large, vast mountain around which there are thousands of villages and then the populations there, they are very disunited. And they look at the uh, peak, but they lose sight of it. They look at their own holy, sacred 
founders that are unified themselves, but among the population, they create these unities. So it is very interesting, even from the Al-Qaeda, somebody sent me a letter. If the way you describe the religion, we will put all our guns down and we'll unite with other religions. So the reality is that we need to look towards the point of oneness, our origination, our humanity of the soul of oneness, our diversity, and curb the differentiations through both individual maturities as well as collective maturity as well as systems maturity. That's why in the Baha'i faith we talk about the collective maturity of humanity. That is the entire humanity. Don't look at it. 10,000 years of wars, the animalistic nature of humanity. No, the angelic nature will not only appear, will become predominant and prevalent system and mode to the point that we will have forgotten to oblivion how we lived in the First World War and Second World War. In the distant future of humanity, when they look at these documentaries, they will not even cry, they will not even weep, and they will not even beat over their head that we were like this. They will laugh at it. They will have forgotten so much any association to those thoughts and, and uh, systems and orders on the planet. It's like when we now look at films about the caveman. The caveman, no language, taking big bones and start beating each other for no reason. We don't know why. And then we don't have a reference to that. We've forgotten what was it to be like that. And we just look at ourselves of the thousands of years ago and we laugh at it. The same. Future human civilization will laugh at the state of the 21st century, of all of these wars that we create. And this is a good sign. It's a good message. The message is that this is not the reality of humanity. This is a temporarily ill state of humanity, immaturities of humanity, we will definitely leap forward above these and beyond these. And this should be the motivation behind any human being to not become bitter, not to perpetuate bitterness and pain and hatred and whatever they received as childhood from broken society. A maladjusted humanity tries to adjust itself to a maladjusted society. And the farther we go, the farther is the alienation. But we need to change. Somebody should be the source of this healing. Some group will be the source of this healing. And then the self-healing will elevate us above ourselves. We do not judge. Why? Wow, the pity on me. Why my family abandoned me? Why this happened to me? Why that happened to me? Instead of that, we will seek healing. And instead of that, we say, okay. So I use an analogy. Every human is like a factory. And God only created two type of factory. One that you put every garbage, every negativities in it and it processes and brings out the gold, the diamond. And one other factory, no matter how much gold and diamond you give it to it as the raw material, the end result is garbage. Uh, it is negativities that people have. The optimist versus the pessimist. The one who thinks, oh, the pessimist, all your problems are yours. Even my problems, you created them, blaming others. And then the other one says, my problems are mine. Oh, your problems are mine. Give it to me. And it seems that the person who is positive, who is optimist, who is like the source of the uh, spiritual uh, revolution of their own heart, and then uh, that person has more burdens of responsibility, actually is the happier one. It is an amazing rule of the creation. The one who is taking the responsibilities of humanity, 
that means all the dirt and all the garbage of humanity in the ocean of my heart will be cleansed. That person is the happiest. I often consider myself the happiest person living on planet Earth just because of that. Because hear no evil, see no evil, I believe in acting it to the fullest. Not just, oh, a nice, beautiful, uh, let's say, literature. No. Therefore, some people ask me, how many children do you have? You know what's my answer? Yes. Okay, my answer is that I have one trillion children. One trillion. Eight billion of whom are alive. And for a hundred generation, about one trillion. Those are my responsibilities, my children's children. Beyond that, I don't know. But if eight billion people, seven point nine hundred ninety nine million, the last person is not responsible, oh, all others are taking care of that last. If it is the reverse, most of the eight billion are unaware of their de mission and mis destiny. If all of them have aborted their greatness, if all of them are engaged in perpetual war and destruction and negativity, don't worry, me alone, only me, one drop can create and recreate oceans of goodness. The ripple effect. Yeah. The limitless and ever perpetual growing ripple effect only requires the purity of motive. It is not me. I don't matter. It is the destinies of humanity. I will do not my best. The ultimate to reflect and revive and manifest those powers. And luckily with your media and with all the blockchain and all the social media and the future more, uh, then this message can be the goodness has highest chance to popularize and become predominant. Thank you for sharing so much of your heart and of yourself and of your ideology on humanity and on spirituality. And I, I respect um, your, your journey on uh, embracing the good qualities of different belief systems and, and taking those to better yourself to enlighten yourself and to give that light back to the world and to do it in such a way that's selfless and that's creative and imaginative to generations beyond the people that exist today. I've actually never heard um, things put in that perspective and, and it's a wonderful perspective um, for those listening, because we like to use this show also as an educational platform. What are three guiding spiritual principles um, that that you live by in, in your life? I'm sure there's many, but if you could choose three to share with us. Sure. I mean, there are a few. First of all, being the source. That means you never wait for anything else, anyone else, and any other situations. You are sharing the creation of the universe with God. You can be the source of the differentiation factor of your life around and in fact, nations and the entire of humanity, in fact, in the history. It is not a grandiose or self-enlargement that matters, but it is that potential power that is there 
and tapping into it and discovering it and then shedding it around. So I have a saying, since the day I was born onward, I need nothing. Since the day I was born onward, I need nothing. I realize how difficult it is, but I had it always and I acted upon it. All is being provided by the creator, universe, God, uh, whatever the source of everything. And if you do things correctly, everything comes to you anyway. It creates a vortex that everything comes to you. But you don't need to hold it, to keep it, or to even claim anything from it. Just spread it more. And it is a beautiful form of existence and life. The self-exhilaration of knowing not that you are great, not that you are selfish, even in the humility you don't take pride, but that you are doing the right thing for the greater good. Nothing more uh, heaven than this self-realization. And uh, that's one. The other, because of that, I say my number one enemy is mediocrity. Mediocrity I means say, passing the world as is. And uh, uh, for me, uh, mediocrity is uh, basically being unfaithful, not only to God, a creator, not only unfaithful to your entire human family, but to yourself. So nothing less than the highest forms of uh, elevation, perfection, and ability of service, or we can call it capacity increase, is expected in us. And so that's the other one. And then, of course, I also, uh, what we can call it, I don't say the word enemy, because I have no enemy, but sometimes I use the word that my number one enemy is uh, mediocrity, and number two is the concept of laissez-faire, of beauty in the eye of the beholder. A concept that people even deify, for me, is the most absurd. No, beauty is not just in the eye of the observer. There is an independent beauty beyond all creation. We have to just discover it and uh, basically internalize it and uh, magnify it. And it is then that we will not just give up. See, the problem with humanity is certain forms of laziness. And uh, basically... If you have interest, I can go a little bit more into it. Absolutely. Okay. I invented five words in Chinese, and I developed this thought in Chinese, but I can explain. I call it Zhen Jun Shen Gao Pu. Zhen Jun Shen Gao Pu. It means truth, precision, depth, height, and elevation apex, and then popularization. What does it mean? Most humanity, they curtail or they themselves uh, basically abort their formula of greatness in the first step. And that is the truth. They don't care about the truth. There have been so many truths fighting with each other that they are confused about the truth. They say if all of these people, they think they are the holder and owner of absolute truth and they're killing each other. So there is no truth. Okay, then less affair than beauty in the eye of the beholder, which is very wrong. It is the other extreme of destructive forces. And whereas search, an independent search for the truth, and the discovery and the realization and the adaptation and the internalization of the truth is the first step. So 99.9% of humanity fails right there. 
They just give up. No, this is a muscle that you need to exercise and daily in all aspects and fairness in your judgment. So after looking for the truth, again, humanity fails, 99.9%. How do they fail? How in searching for the truth, they don't go for precision and accurateness and a faithfulness to finding the truth the way it is, not the way I like it. So our own, uh, what we call it, egos and inclinations of love and hate to a faith and religion or something deviates us farthest from the truth to sometimes 180 degrees away from the truth under the name of truth. So it is not only the love and the search for the truth that should be maximized, but it is the desire for accuracy. And that is self-reflection, self-questioning, uh, basically destroying the discovered and reinventing. If you believe in the purity of your motive, you can drop everything and rebuild. Either something higher than that comes or the same thing comes to you. You don't lose anything. The fear of loss, that's the killer of humanity. Mm. After the desire for the search of the truth and the ability to distinguish falsities from the core of the truth, comes the point of depth exactly the search for the core peeling the onion layers and layers and layers of falsity so only when you have the stamina and the interest and the motivation and the independence of soul to go deep into anything and everything to its phenomena and to the theology of the phenomena and the core of its reality and distinguish all the falsities that are popularized then you have the chance to even just come to an approximation to the truth. Even if you don't have the whole of the truth, there is no chance that you will go to 180 degrees against the truth, believing that you have the truth. This is the exact plight of humanity and the falsity of humanity. So once you have these elements and the depth and you have discovered certain truth, immediately you are elevated to the highest. It's like a fountain all of a sudden pushes you to the highest height and then you look and observe the whole creation in search of the truth and wondering and you've got it and you have seen it and you know it but you don't become proud mm. then at that height after the depth after the desire for accuracy and the search of the truth then you have the legitimacy and the ordinance to popularize the truth that you found as i'm doing sharing here with you only then but the problem of humanity is they don't even go to the height. They don't go to the depth. They don't look for even the accuracy in the truth. They check whatever pseudo-truth and they are fed all of these falsities, whether it is by media or even sometimes family values. They don't question and reflect upon it. And then they popularize it. They create many more layers of falsity on the onion. And that is what I discovered to be the state of humanity. And I said, no, no. From one person, one place, you start the game of the change. And if you are doing it and doing it with the right motive and purity motive, and if your zeal and zest and the power of the atomic bomb power of it in the constructive way, it starts working, then you become a source. Not the source, a source of the change of humanity. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said, beautifully said. The way I understand what you're sharing is humanity as creatures, we're designed for survival and our survival mechanism wants to protect us from harm and threats. 
once there's a sense of comfort and predictability in life, it becomes familiar and it becomes, um, that, that becomes your life. And there's no need to become uncomfortable to experience anything outside of that realm of comfort. I will a bit put a different clothing or cladding on it to say we are not built just for survival. Right. The survival is a side effect that it is good to have the ability to flourish and nourish, self-nourish and others. That is good. Protection is good. All of those are good because we have to be pragmatic humanity with highest ideals and not one versus the other. But I think the reality of our creation is a bit things beyond. Let me explain my understanding. First of all, the number one plague of humanity is fear. Fear on all levels in any form is the number one killer of humanity. A certain level of exigencies and protections are needed, but not fear. Okay. Humanity will learn when it matures to a greater degree to fundamentally, intrinsically destroy fear. My father did. He used to say one sentence and he lived it that way. He said, <laughs> God, with all his powers, there's one thing he cannot do. And we used to joke with him, said, no, no, you are a very spiritual person. Why would you say that? He would laugh again and says, well, <clears throat> no, 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 you didn't understand. He said, God created me, I'm left on his hands. No matter where he casts me, I am always in his kingdom. And I start saying, oh yeah, if you're cast to hell, oh, it is God's kingdom, so it's okay. If I'm cast to annihilation, annihilation and nothingness, that's God's kingdom. So he had a full trust that no matter what happens to me, no matter how many physical infirmities and destructiveness and whether man-made, nature-made, God-made, self-made, doesn't matter. At the end, I am well protected. It doesn't matter in whichever form, in whichever realm, in whichever kingdom. And he was a very unusual soul because at the age of five, he was the only breadwinner for the family of five. His mother had remarried to a person who was, of course, drug addict of the time, couldn't do anything, and two other half-children. So he was five years old, and there was one and three-year-old, and then the new father, and he was the breadwinner as a thorn gatherer, going to the outskirts, into the windy uh, thorns and uh, rolling around, just like in the World Wide West in Arizona, and then there is a horse or a mule, actually, an old man who was like the, the investor, or the um, uh, employer, and uh, we can call it bourgeoisie, and my father was the proletariat, but he would run around with bleeding hands and gather thorns that were dry to take to the village to become a form of uh, fuel for the water heating and this, and get a little bit of money. And he had all his life Every single infirmity that he says, the diseases that were killer diseases, that I didn't know what they were. And so he got the, not just uh, chickenpox, smallpox, plague, anything. It was the traces on his face, even uh, uh, torrential bites and many, many other things. And he did the worst jobs of any human 
uh, including starting from thorn gathering to porteries to any form that was high, including uh, bricks uh, and mortar and masonry and shoemaking and everything, and uh, even sweeping of the uh, every job. So he had 100 jobs that were the worst and 100 diseases that were killer. At the age of 20, he just encountered an illiterate man who was spiritual, who was a Baha'i. When my father was enlightened by the Baha'i revelation, it fired his imagination. So he quickly, an illiterate man, in one year he studied the sixth grade of primary school, and another year three grades of middle school. And by the third year he had graduated formally from high school, an illiterate man at the age of 20-something, three or so. Then he had to still work and then go to the university, two universities become the medical doctor of Mashhad University, Tehran University, and go to the villages of Baluchistan, the worst case places, the entire border of Iran and Pakistan of 60, 70 years ago didn't have uh, a border. So he was the one doctor, horseback doctor of the whole villages. And until it was so difficult that when the first child, my brother, was born, for his sake, he had to move to the north, but still village areas near the Caspian Sea, where I said we grew up. So such a person, and he was later put in prison, persecuted because he was a Baha'i. Mm. So his newfound faith gave him total new life and gave him, a, we can call it slow martyrdom. Because in those prisons, they put highest level of electric shocks waves daily and loudspeakers and many other scenarios to the point that he did not recognize his family when he was allowed after four months to visit. He did not believe mm, his, my sister. His daughter was alive. And so until when my sister started chanting the nursery rhymes that he used to chant to her, then he realized and jumped and cried. So such a person that lost all the capillaries and became a shrinking brain and became a, you can call it a vegetable in the old age of 60s, nearly 70s. And my mother had to take care of him. He, after prison, wrote about the beauty in humanity, about optimism in humanity in the ultimate form. So we have this example. So nobody worse case beginning than him. Nobody worse case beginning uh, of the jobs and the difficulties and also being illiterate. And we can see that even the worst case, you can create the highest beautiful symphony orchestra of your life. And so this I'm sharing with others to realize uh, doesn't matter what our ch challenges and tests are. It is the essence in you that should call upon you. Listen to it. Listen to the voice of beauty and purity in your own soul, no matter who you are, where you are, whether already you are refined and on the highest path or in the lowest beginning. So this was the point of sharing. Wonderful story. Thank you for sharing. So that. it is not protection or fear or survival, and then uh, creating a, what we call it a mad competition. That uh, um, so I need to be so careful to protect myself against all these evil people out there. So I always say the ability to go trust is more powerful than the ability to be trusted, and that shows how healed you are. So first, believe in yourself to such a point that you are not going to be harmed. Open your heart and go. And don't mind if a little bit you are harmed because you are the winner. You know. And others, whoever they try to take advantage, they lose at the end. So you have to have some form of like a stamina or character or, or quality that 
reflects different than all others around you. So I like to share a little story. So you and I uh, had made some great memories in Dubai and you um, kindly and openly introduced me to um, inspiring people in your network. And you had invited me to join you for a private dinner with your business colleagues where I was able to attend a business meeting and witness you in action as you were translating a major project between investors and uh, developers in the language of Mandarin. I Chinese, believe. yeah, there was the Ch Chinese. highest level chairman of Chamber of Commerces, of Global Chinese Chamber of Commerces, 365,000 enterprises under him. Yeah, Mr. Li Nonghe, you met him. Yes, yes, and when I walked into the meeting, I felt like I was sitting in the Jedi Council in Star Wars. <laughs> in and, Dubai, in the special <laughs> villa. That's right. And I was greeted by a hostess who offered me tea and cookies, and it was just a wonderful uh, experience. And you thoughtfully included me into the business meeting as a representative of the nonprofit One Education, One World, in which you are a board member and uh, where we build schools for children that don't have educational resources. And that I was uh, that was unexpected because it was so kind and, and considerate of you to allow me the opportunity to represent a worthy cause to this group of influential people when you, you didn't have to. And following the meeting, everybody was invited to an elaborate gourmet seafood dinner in which the key players of the business deal were asked to stand up and address the group and to give a speech. And the speech you gave was a wonderful speech that was powerful and inspiring. And it was in Mandarin and in English where you were speaking from the heart. And the experience for me was influential because it taught me about the principles of infusing spiritual attributes in creating business partnerships, which leads me to asking this question. How do you define trust and creating value in cultivating business partnerships? You are right that business at the end is the convergence of minds and people and their qualities and the exchange of the values that each has that by themselves everyone is still is limited but in a group they become limitless so business is about either exchange of capital or exchange of technology or knowledge or uh, certain groups needs will become uh, other groups provide solution and sometimes the other group's solutions are somebody else's needs and putting them together and then doing it systematically rather than ad hoc transactional and building institutions and entities out of them or institutions that are already being built come to your hand to magnify, to accelerate. I've been involved in all these types and levels of businesses in at least 50 countries, if not more. My network is in 150 countries, but the transactions that are completed are actually prolific in over 100, and the totaling of about 30, 35 billion US dollars, uh, not all of them through uh, companies of mine, but through our arrangement. So business is all about transactions that benefits all sides, not even both sides and transactions hopefully that are not ad hoc and singular. I never like to be, and I don't encourage anyone to be what I invented the name for it, called don't be a dangling particle. Don't belong to the buy side or the sale side and you're trying to be a brokeraging where you don't have a position. Uh, but put yourself as an insider in one side or the other, the supply or the demand side. So yes, the business is all about um, first, 
success breeds success. Having done things around that, you build again and again and you stamp copy what you already have done. And then you build for yourself a credit, a history that is provable, that is repeatable, and that others would therefore want that. And for that matter, sometimes we create vortexes and vortices that people join. I call them becoming centers of gravity and attraction and then others join with their assets and even with their funds and they will give it to your hand, to your trust, to manage or to uh, order or create formations. So we have done all of these businesses and we are doing more. And uh, so, yes, uh, in the process, uh, as I said, I believe everything Every action and activity is a body to which you should infuse a soul. And of course, the souls are different. We are not talking about the individual human soul. Uh, what I'm talking about is certain energies, cohesiveness, uh, consensuses or practices that everybody is exhilarated, is happy. They are thinking that they are gaining what is their life's desire and then everybody is getting it. And then some transaction happens and money is generated and the money is distributed in the right prorated fair arrangement and if there is a com conflict then we decide to give the differentiation to some form of charity or even when we make those monies again will be repeated for great causes and I don't believe in just handaways but I believe in handaways when there is a need plus educating plus preparing the soul for then later becoming empowered to repeat the cycle not back to you, but back to others. So it is all about actually a very highest form of technique of money making plus art of money distribution and utilization. So yeah, it is all uh, about formulas. You find that the gain of one is not the loss of the other, that it is the total, we can say in my formulas of business, nobody ends up with the short end of the stick. Everybody's stick grows, just prorated. Some more, some less, according to the contributions and situations and values. Beautiful, beautiful. What is your personal perception on money? And how do you think people should be looking at money? Yes, it is a very important question. It is a very confusing question because there are many philosophies, uh, including... Uh, monetary finance all the way cutthroat to all the way self-sacrificing extreme principles that none of them it creates the right balance before answering that I must talk about one principle one discovery one observation I discovered that among all the contradictions of humanity all the dichotomies the worst one and the most invisible one is something very interesting it is not the religious fighting, it is not the national fighting, it is not the nation's fighting, even though the fighting kills. It is the dichotomy between the idealists and the pragmatists. The idealists look at the state of the deplorable affairs of the world and they don't like it, they want to change it and they have a lot of ideals, whether it is to do with environment and green or giving to the poor or education. In their highest ideals, which is so meritorious, they become gradually bitter and also sometimes bigoted. And they become so point that they look at money makers as money mongers, as their enemies. They want everyone to come down, not to make money. And that's answering your question. And that is not correct way of looking at things. In fact, 
they themselves become introvert and become far from reality, practicality, that their highest ideals will lose its value. The money makers that they call money mongers, who have a lot of humanity in them, look down at them, at these people, they don't even know how to take care of their own families. And they are so poor. How can they build a change in the whole society? So they just abandon all of this. No, if we have a whole community of idealists who become wealthy and money makers and money distributors to the highest form and successful, wow, imagine without tools they were doing good job. Now how much more they can become the source of the improvement of the world. So I encourage every idealist to move away from bitterness and anger towards the wealthy and about being angry or thinking of money being as unholy. Wrong. Totally wrong. You are the demise of your own highest ideals. You should become practical and pragmatic. Make monies, tons of monies, and influence the money makers to come to your camp. In fact, that's what I'm trying to do, or I'm done, or I am doing, to become a bridge between the two camps. And imagine how if the pragmatists, all the billionaires, who are doing some humanitarian, but partially, superficially maybe, and but some of them even genuinely, but imagine if all of them did it very genuinely, and not at the point of losing their monies. Only one-sided donations that gets lost, but regenerative, taking the underprivileged populations through programs by their hands that not only they spend the money for the good cause, but it is not a giveaway. It is regenerative. Imagine if these two camps both now were both highest form of idealism and highest form of pragmatism. What a world we will have. The problems of humanity will be solved by a thousand X if this one unity was achieved. So back to the question of money. And I am guided here at not an early age, at a later age by a Baha'i statement, a statement from Baha'u'llah that man first is in need of knowledge, knowing of what leads to his exaltation and what leads to, its, to his uh, degradation. So a differentiation factor to know what is good for our nobility and what brings us to abasement and to the lower nature. Having reached this stage of maturity, then man is in need of wealth. So the only faith that acknowledges the importance of wealth acquired through arts and crafts and sciences and innovations and spent for the right causes. And that uh, rich is the source of good for the world, is the source of change to the world. So it is like uh, we can say in the Bible it says that uh, rich cannot go to heaven, it's like a camel going through the needle's eye. So that Actually, it doesn't have to be now that way. It can be all the rich that are the cause of positivity and change and all the poor that have become rich because of that. So even solving that dichotomy is one of, you can say, my core objective, unspoken in all life. Beautiful, beautiful. I subscribe to the ideology that wealth magnifies what's already there and um, it doesn't change your principles or your... Character. Not necessarily. Sometimes the wealth becomes a test. But it mm. is correct. It is what is there. Mm. So, yes, the, it is actually a test of your final, ultimate, real noble nature. And I have mm. had two friends, I don't want to mention names, in Vancouver, who talked about this. One poor guy, one rich guy. 
and that your richness, you are there, that's why you are very spiritual. And that person up to today is rich, whereas that person who was poor became rich and forgot about everything. Became a very much like money mongers. So the point is that uh, money does test, but also it reveals your hidden inner self. It is a magnifier, it is an enabler, it is a tool, and if you have learned how to create goodwill and kindness and spread it when you were poor and in the process of becoming rich and not forget your original uh, character while you are rich, then that becomes a very powerful force. Absolutely. What would you say are three core principles in leadership that you would advise a person to become an effective leader? Yeah, the whole idea of leadership has a lot of connotations. I have uh, always, as a left-handed person, as a person who looks at things from many different angles. You're left-handed too? Yeah, okay, like right. you, I saw you anywhere. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't take pride in it. Uh, and <laughs> they say that uh, they say a lot of people are, who are left-handed, they are very wise. I said I am otherwise. Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, I look at different angles. So back to the question. Mm-hmm. And what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> well, this question is the three core principles yeah, of I leadership know. you would advise. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Yeah. For me, I look at the word leadership in a totally different way. Mm. The first is that leadership is servitude. To the highest level that you enact your servitude, to that highest level is your leadership. Because that calls upon the higher nature of all other humans. You become a force that others become awakened. So, and servitude, uh, we use the analogy of a waterfall. The height of the waterfall is not where you put generator machine to get energy. You put to the lowest level, five, uh, 200 meters down. That's where the power of the waterfall, of the water, soft water, become hard energy and produce tons of voltage and megawatts for the whole villages and townships. So by putting yourself low and where you will draw the good of others and draw the knowledge of others and uh, are open-hearted and minded. So for me, leadership is in attitude first and in functionality of being really a true servant and not for a show and a real or a true leader by definition. I have a definition of a leader in any institution. The leader is a leader who replaces himself the fastest. Hmm. Interesting. That means he has already led and created highest quality followers who are now leaders. And he will have done that and nurtured them and nourished them and gives his own way away for that leader to take as some uh, its exercise. And yet the old leader will not be ousted will be another layer of leadership, another form, another cause. So those who in leadership take pride and stay there and they think it's a privilege or power or this or that, all, I'm sorry, uh, they are so uh, misled by themselves and by their vain glories and others. And in the future, it will become popular that the leaders look at themselves differently. That it is not a seat, a permanent seat. It is not a... Uh, you can call tenure position. So, in fact, in my 
dealing with nations, I'm encouraging the leaders on that and encouraging them to create legacies within four to eight years of their uh, terms of presidency that they don't need to remain in power and they will have replaced many potential leaders. And this is the true leadership when you replace yourself. Because in the beginning you didn't matter. It is the fate of the nations and the masses and humanity and others that you are serving and that you are uh, being the conduit towards. In fact, I was in Nigeria, just a television interviewer who did our interview about my movement. Uh, it's God's movement or Africa's movement. The collective peaceful rise of Africa. The collective peaceful rise of Africa. He said that, sir, you know all of these leaders in US, in China, in India, in Arab states, all the royal families and the kings, emirs, presidents, this and that, and done this and this and that. Why you are so humble? This humility is killing me. This, and he was going on and on, and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> no, I'm thinking to myself really in all, again, uh, being very simple and, and wanting to be doing the right thing. I'm saying that, oh God, even if whatever you say is not right, if you take a little bit pride in your own humility. You lost it all. Do you want to lose it all? I said, no, 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 no. I said internally to myself. So I have to think of an image. I told to this gentleman, young man, sir, okay, the way I look at it is this. I am one person. Uh, I am one dollar. And there is 1.4 billion dollar. Which one do you choose? 1.4 billion people of Africa, each represented by an analogy by one dollar versus me one dollar of course i take my one dollar which is me itself put it on the ground put it under my feet and i just stamp it and cast it because i care about the 1.4 billion it is all about their destinies i don't matter and for that matter the eight billion of humanity so for me even the idea of humility becomes utilitarian I don't think I'm doing any great thing because I just am genuinely caring about the destiny of Africa and the destiny of humanity. They matter. All my existence will be defined if I did something correctly for them. And for that matter, therefore, I put myself down and ever, over and over and over again because I get the result. I'm utilitarian. I want the end result. I don't care about who Farzam is or who. And I'm trying to also always reflect because self is something that is so inside it will protrude its ugly face my battle is only there my job is there every day i have to work on the purity of motive and whom am i doing it for is it even for self grandiose is it not others praising you is it because internally you feel good that you are doing even the right thing even that i have to kill every time and every moment then the power is released it is like an atomic fusion or uh, then it is released <laughs> the result comes that's it enough you don't even even to uh, take a joy in it let it be be a conduit make the change and get out of it get out of yourself to that degree you do the, to that degree is your powers our powers humanity will find other types of spiritual principles and these principles will be discovered and will become permanent and predominant and prevalent so that we don't need to think oh trust and faithfulness and uh, this integrity is the highest ideal is the base beginning and it's become so rare 
that humanity has to take them as ideals? Forget about it. This is your base. We will be right back with 20 degrees deeper into the labyrinth with our leader, Dr. Farzam Kamalabadi, after a word from our sponsors. We would like to thank our sponsor, One Education, One World, a Section 501c3 certified nonprofit on a mission to bring quality education to children in the rural parts of the world that do not have access to schools. OEOW gives these children quality education by providing them with an educational space, curriculum, supplies, qualified teachers and leadership in underserved communities. The focus is to inspire hearts and minds of all children while fostering their social, psychological, and spiritual well-being. If you'd like to learn more on how to support OEOW and bring quality education to underprivileged children, please visit www.oneeducationoneworld.org forward slash donations. Help us make a positive change in our world and our children's lives. Education is the right of every child, even a child far away, living in dire conditions in far-to-reach places. We would like to thank our sponsor, Imagine Collective, your premier experience agency, leading California's central and southern regions in event planning and management, digital and experiential marketing, brand partnerships, and more. Serving all coastal and inland communities from Monterey County down to San Diego County in the great Golden State. One of my favorite things about Imagine Collective is they donate a portion of their proceeds to a trusted charity of your choosing for each service they provide. Contact them today at 323-207-9572 and visit their website for more information at theimaginecollective.com. Dot com. Mention Leaders Labyrinth and enjoy 20% off your first service. Imagine Collective. Let's collectively imagine how to make our world a better place through the everyday work we do together. We are here in the Labyrinth with Dr. Farzam Kamalabadi going 20 degrees deeper into the labyrinth where I ask our leaders 20 design questions to get to know them even better on a mental and spiritual and personal level. So, Dr. Farzam, are you ready for the first question? Wow, this is where we fail the tests, huh? Okay, no problem. <laughs> I am ready. I was born ready. <laughs> as long as you show up, you pass. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Question number one, how do you start your day? Do you have any morning routines or non-negotiables? Uh, sure, and fortunate or unfortunately, I have a little bit of physical issues. I have had uh, basically pinched nerve and reactive arthritis and many other things. So actually, I always wake up in pain in the middle of the night and then the next round. So when I get up, it first has to do, I used to be first with prayers and others, but now the physical situation is such that it's not even yet ready or purified so I have to do first the showers and the cleaning and everything and then once the freshness is there yes definitely some reflection and uh, in these days and age and tons of 
what we call WhatsApps and WeChats and all the messages of people who are waiting answers and I'm across the globe. So whether from Africa to China to India to uh, Russian speaking countries to US, Europe and when I'm in Dubai. So I have to answer all of those. So the routine used to be very much more independent and uh, you can call it uh, subliminal. Now it's become uh, uh, doing the same thing but with <laughs> interaction with people in WhatsApps and WeChats and other messages. Excellent. How would you describe your favorite quality about yourself? Uh, aware, awareness. Yeah. Or you can say self. Uh, I think all things, the source of it, it comes from knowledge or gnosis or awareness. And to the degree you clear it, clarify it, purify it, and utilize it. And uh, it's like a piercing light shed through all forms of like incision, opening of your own capacities. So that area is what at least you can say is my love to improve, not that I have it. This is my, again, awareness of the awareness, awareness of the value of awareness. I love that. What characteristic do you value in other people? Yeah, I, yeah, I think I like the intensity of the belief of the people, of course, as I described before, in the correct things. So once they know something and they believe in it, that they don't take it wishy-washy. They go for the kill. Either you don't do something or you do the best and the highest you can do on it. Like when I learned Chinese, I decided I must sacrifice another most valuable thing for me. I was a player of Hammer Dalsomer. I gave it up so that I perfect what I decided to do. The Chinese language. In fact, one of the reasons of my success is you sacrifice. So I believe in those who have clear vision, who have high calling and destiny, are aware of it and then act on it without hesitation and it's the fullest. What I like myself to do better is what I like to see in others. If you could travel back in time to any era, what time period would you want to live in? Oh, uh, they ask me a different question, which is a physical in nature and this is time in nature. And uh, my answer is the same. They say, where do you like to be of all the hundred countries or whatever thousands of cities you went? Where is your favorite? I said, wherever I am in then now. So if I'm here now in Rancho Cucamonga, this is the highest and the best place to be. Why? Because otherwise I would have chosen to be another place. I've been, I've been in Northern Ireland to meet my all-time friend, uh, Lord Mayor Ian Adamson, which I love him also, so sometimes I should go. But the point is that wherever I am, that's the highest satisfaction. The same thing, time period. Okay, I am here. I am in the <laughs> uh, place that I can become a very serious uh, mega differentiation factor and this is the most challenging era okay i love it i love that okay. it's it's wanting to, to have what where you are now the present moment awareness there are many reasons why mm -hmm. first of all i have seen again observation and realization and knowledge that most humanity are unhappy with themselves Mm. They are alienated from themselves. Mm. If only I was in a different time period. If only I was in a different job. If only I was in a different situation. No. Where you are with the, is the best to challenge yourself. 
uh, my first job after Baybank Harvard Trust, which was my only official job, and then the next one was in Macau with uh, Pacific Infotech. We did the highest transfer of technology of the time to China, and I arrived there as a poor, just uh, for for years. I had no salary because all my money, no bank account, all my money was going to the uh, Vietnamese and Laotian and Cambodian refugees in Boston, and then I was invited to Macau, and my office desk was a quarter of a desk of Mr. Bala who was the accountant of that Pacific Infotech. And I was so happy that I have a desk. And from there, I went to two years, 3,000 media interviews and newspaper writings and really affected the entire community of Macau, half a million people. So it was the best. And then I went all over China from that period and did the most, uh, uh, I, I, we can say that the most advanced joint ventures in, in the early times, in the 80s in China, in Dalian, multi-layer printed circuit board, three, 36 layers, other people's investment, but I was running part of it. But mostly it was like an educational system called uh, the School of the Nations. So we created the first ever bilingual, multicultural, and it was English and Mandarin in a Portuguese and uh, Cantonese speaking region. So they were always what I call the differentiation factor something different, something unique. So wherever I am, whichever time period I am, that is the ideal. So and people who, it is uh, proven psychological research, if they change their workplace or their location or this and that, they still perform badly because their thinking was, if only outside circumstances. External, right. Whereas actually the whole universe is a test of your inner powers. And the inside reality is the only reality that not only matters, that exists. The outside reality is a reflection for you to be tested and to look at it as a mirror and to find out your limitations and then how through the exercise that you will uh, assist others to fulfill their realization. So now is the best time that I am in and now with you. Brilliant. The, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. What is a book that had impacted your life or that you would recommend to others? Uh, there are several and in a progression, but the first one and the one that one sentence of it changed my life was a book called The Hidden Words of Baha'u'llah. The Hidden Words of Baha'u'llah. They are in English now, translated from either the original Persian or Arabic, two sections. But uh, each one sentence is like a revealer of so many realities. Say, I fear that you ye, bereft of the melody of the divine dove that you will uh, pass beyond this world, having not heard the melody of the divine calling. So it was like, uh, oh, there are certain missions, callings, secrets that come upon only those who are aware that often... They pass through it and they don't know what a blessing it was that they missed. I don't want to miss anything. That called upon my soul to be aware of certain elements of greatness. That God pities that you came to this world and you did not realize and you left and you were not even aware what you missed. That was a very game changer for me. 
If you could sit on a bench and have a deep discussion with anyone alive or deceased, who would it be? Oh, of course. First, my first and foremost love is my father. Yeah, definitely. Beautiful. Beautiful. And of course, there are all those holy ones that you would want to consort with. And uh, often I want not, I, I love the independence of soul. So I say, I don't want you to give me all your greatness to me. Guide enough and I want to find it. How much of a man, or you can say of a soul, I can be. So I often ask, don't give me dreams. Don't give me all the signs, all these spirituals. Please, I don't want to be a superstitious person depending on those. I want to have the depth and independence of realization of greatness from within and inside and from others. And don't give me the, what we call it, the uh, scaffoldings or the staff or a stick. I want to be independent. What is one of the most important lessons you learned in a relationship? Oh, that we are the test of ourselves to ourselves. So we say that everything is tested in itself, by itself, to itself, through itself, to others, through themselves. So often we say, we think that, oh, I don't like others to test me. Please let me just be alone. And sometimes we say, oh, I don't want me to test others. Uh, let them be alone. And then I realized that, please, not, don't let me to be a test to myself. So I think, yeah. What is a powerful piece of knowledge or advice that someone gave to you that shifted your perception on life? Yeah. Again, uh, luckily for me, it is a convergence of many. Mm. And it is the convergence of many souls and the convergence of many sentences. And also each time, okay, I think the best answer is not, even though there are so many great ones and they really molded my life and some of them are really martyred. I mean, basically they are like legendary people. But the thing that I think is to answer it the best is to read the signs. There are signs here and there left for you. There are messages left here and there for you. And if you are aware of the invisible realm, to that degree you discover these signs. And sometimes people give you messages that it doesn't even mean anything to you then. But after a while it becomes a strong voice. So I think that again, read the signs. And for that matter, I believe the power that in the future will become popularized and in humanity is very rare now is to realize what we do. Humanity is only doing one thing and one thing alone, nothing else. Even though it is two manifestations, but it's one. We are drawing down the perfection realities or the realities of an invisible world to the visible world. We are antennas downloading some realities that are not here and that are discovered from an invisible world. That's why we have sciences and technologies and inventions and discoveries and the delta of change. And for that matter, vertically, we download the realities of a spiritual world to this physical material world 
that we do the discoveries and inventions and the progress and innovations that we are bringing the realities of the future world to the present world. That means it is a horizontal progression of the same vertical. So you said what sentence somebody told me that mm, that changed me. I think at the end it was self-discovery. There were many, many spiritual powers. And of course, number one, the highest, is none other the universal manifestation of God, Baha'u'llah, the promised one of all ages. Those sentences is like the sword that are rebuilding you and incision and discovering you and then molding you and whatever it is, like the king of wars. But ultimately, even that, it exists for everyone. Does it change everyone? Not necessarily. It's really to the degree that you care about your own destiny and discover. So I realized that all humanity is doing is drawing from the powers of the invisible world. And I realized that I was doing it not knowingly. Now consciously, I always say now that I am an inverted iceberg. An inverted iceberg. 5% uh, is out in an iceberg, up. But mine is the reverse. 5% is present and visible into you, to the world. People see me. They hear me, even this recording, is only 5% of the reality and the realm in which I live. And I mean it. I live in a different realm. I think in different realm, act in different realm, know the principles of a different realm, surprise the principles of this realm because of that knowledge. So that means much more uh, consciously drawing down inspirations from the other limitless realm. In fact, in the future, I believe all humanity will do that. All humanity is in this world and yet not part of it. We'll walk in the physical world, but we'll actually tangibly visit and see and observe and touch the realities of the spiritual world in the form of science or even beyond. So it, in fact, that is the power to be so refined, so much of a medium, so much of a container, so much of an antenna, uh, that you will, your receptacle will be ready and will be ready correctly, not your own whims and wishes. So what ca we call idle fancies and vain imaginings. We have to get away from those so that the real voice of the pure will be heard by your own soul. So powerful. So, so powerful. Thank you. What is your definition of success? Yeah, my definition of success is, of course, everyone defines success nowadays is material and financial and gains, and which is very actually praiseworthy if you do it correctly without cheating and with ingenuity and in the process you have an impact and you change the lives of the people. Great. But for me, despite all of those, even if I never be a billionaire, I actually created a lot of wealth. I created monies and passed it through right away. So I believe in wealth generation immediate and in wealth distribution at the same time seamlessly. I think success for me will become when I am divinely aided to overcome the challenges of the physical world and the limitations that is constantly testing you. To that degree, I call it to be the receptacle of the powers of divine assistance. 
Why? Because otherwise the realities of this world are always clamping down upon you, testing you. They are like trying to capture your wing and uh, making you restrained. So the success will come from when the sensitivity of the soul and in the service to the world and in your enterprises and in your initiatives and in whatever they are, that they are faster accomplished and better accomplished and often accomplished by others who are moved by you that come to your vortex because you made a calling and others joined that force. So at the moment I am mastering so much great players who have highest ideals but they see the higher realization of their own ideals in what I am doing and they are joining. So that is for me a success. A success to be uh, there was a sentence in the Shakespeare and then the gentleman says I have the ability to call the soul, the dead, out of their sepulchers. And the other guy said, yeah, you can call on them. Will they rise? <laughs> Do they listen? Can you affect? Can you have a kind of magnetic calling and personality and maybe because it is selfless, because it's not you, it is them that they see it. So for me, success is to the degree that you can lead others in humility. And that those others will join and they complete your dreams and their own dreams. And that you have aligned your dreams to their dreams. And you have discovered other souls that are, let's say, wandering in this universe. And all of them are inspired by the, high, the higher ideals. But either they have forgotten it or they don't believe in it. Or they discover a soulmate, they get so excited. But then not a temporary excited that disappears. That you solidify, consolidate crystallization of the highest ideals in result-oriented. For me, that is success. Beautiful. Do you have a daily mantra or a philosophy on life? Of course. I always begin and say, best morning. And then uh, afternoon, best afternoon. And then in the evening, best evening. Never good morning. Good morning is not good enough. And uh, always, every I believe in the delta of upgrade or the delta of perfection or the delta of exaltation and that's why as a religious believer if you want to call it or any form of believer or believer in all of these systems thinking I, would, I can drop all of them I have no fear of losing every of my belief because I can go and rebuild and in that moment a delta is added Either a wrong or misunderstanding or superstition in myself will be corrected or if it is reordered, a higher level of understanding of it is given to you. You are given a gift when you give up. Surrender and have no fear even of that. So at the age of 11, consciously I decided I don't want to live another 70, 80 years with these characters and qualities. I said I must kill all fear. So I teach my children that. Uh, I killed the fear of death, the fear of pain, the fear of loneliness, the fear of uh, uh, misaccomplishment, the fear of censure, the fear of uh, uh, poverty, the fear of not having this, and the fear of the fear itself. And that's why I say the number one plague of humanity is fear. Overcome that. Why do you think we are here as a human species? Uh, yeah, I think is a 
I use the analogy it's a divine comedy and a divine melody and a divine art so luckily I was uh, artist enough to see how art is generated whether as a musician the hammer dulcimer or as a poet and a poet who was not a natural poet I forced myself to become the highest level poem and my father who was a natural poet would laugh at me and would use some verses that by force and by trying to be a poet uh, and uh, he, was, he was never negative but uh, even that one made me decide to overcome all of those and I learned how an inspiration and a revelation is drawn down so um, the again the purpose of creation you asked and most people the answers to this will kill you will put you in a maze that you are contradicting yourself if you don't have the right answer and most humanity suffers here lack of purpose because they don't know and I discovered it in a way as a poet and as a drawer, painter, or calligrapher, all of a sudden, even though I was forceful poet, something comes out of you that it was beyond you and above you and you never expected, and it came and you just created. And just look at it and you marvel at it. Wow! This is the calligraphy in Chinese that I wrote that I'm an Iranian. No one in the world history has done this and it appeared through you. I don't get proud out of it. And I get pride out of it, but just the marvel and awe. For me, the entire purpose of creation of God of humanity is that awe. First, God is at awe with his own creation. Then makes humanity discover and be at awe with themselves. It's the joy and the thrill of the invention, of creation, of discovery, of exulting about your own self, not over the others. It is those sharing of the beauties that is the purpose of creation and nothing else. It is an urge of an artist revealed. It is not reason to explain, oh, for that purpose, for this utilitarian, for this or that. I exist because I exist because it's beautiful, because I can create beauties and I do create beauties and let all the world create beauties. Let's create a divine symphony that the voice of it is heard in the highest realms of the kingdom. Let's surprise even God. I always challenge God and I say, give me more tests. Show me how much of a character I am. I will make it such that you will be shy towards me if I did that. And of course I know. And I said, no, 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 please God. I know (laughs) I am not a proud person to challenge you. But I want it for my own purpose of creation to be revealed. The chisel that chisels my art. So it is for me, it is so easy an answer. It's no longer I am wondering. Okay, be, you are here, you are created. Be the best of what you are in a situation that you marvel at yourself and at others and create a whole miracles. Be the miracle that you want to be and to see. Be the miracle in the source. And that is the purpose of creation, nothing else. Phenomenal. If reincarnation is real, what animal would you want to be in your next life? Hmm. Uh, reincarnation. Reincarnate into limitless realms of God that are spiral way up or whatever direction we say. We never come back to the same limited physical realm. Uh, 
it's not a two-dimensional return. It is even three-dimensional or multi-dimensional, not even return, but elevation. So I believe that I don't mind to be uh, for others who are spiritually higher than me in other realms of God. Maybe the lowest level of hell is my highest level of paradise. Maybe I will be the, sorry, this is an analogy. If people who understand the wit, they will see it. It's not that I mean. I'd like to be the lowest devil in the other world of the highest people who are angels. Uh, maybe that itself, itself will elevate me. So the Chinese saying that if I don't go to hell, who else will go to hell? I don't mean to hell of that. I like challenges. And my wife used to say, the door is open, the window is open. Why do you have to go through the wall? <laughs> so what animal I want to become? <laughs> uh, the devil in Farzam. <laughs> The Amazing. beast that is learning to become the angel. I love okay. that. <clears throat> I love that. Uh, what is one quote that has resonated profoundly with you? Um, well, there are so many because when you say these questions, uh, a war zone appears in my psyche. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it reminds me that we are actually the sum total of um, principles, ideals, issues, thought processes that we have collected. Mm. And I do try to collect a good sampler of them and to readjust them and digest them. I call it implode, digest, explode. So process them and create a synergies out of them. Uh, yeah, there are, there are some. Uh, there are, an, and I see the, I take a quote and I see it in different language and in different spiritual orders. But one of the best ones is that we are, and I wrote a poem on it in Chinese. So I said, Nai he wan tian zhi di. Wherefore will the Lord of 10,000 heavens and yet chooses the abode of dust as your dwelling? We don't belong to this world. Our home is in the highest levels, even beyond concept of paradise. So to discover your true home, your true dwelling place, your permanent. I say this world for me is not even a hotel. It's not even a hotel. It's not even a motel. It doesn't matter you are in a hotel and a motel five days or 50 days or 5,000 days or 30,000 days. This is all passing stages and phenomena. So I think my number one, uh, the thing that ticks me from all of those different quotations or my own is eternity. To understand eternity, discover eternity, act eternity, Breathe eternity, eat eternity, digest eternity, spit out eternity, create eternity in all relations, in all we do, in all perpetual. I am a believer in the power of eternity. And it is not difficult, as we think. So 
okay, the word encompassing realities is the capacity of the soul that we are not exercising. We are so much passive by the given. We are not going beyond them, above them, through them, expanding them, expanding them to the expanse of the universe. It is Baha'u'llah's writing in a poetry in Arabic that says, I expanded my own soul to the expanse of the universes to such a point that wert thou the divine origin, walk anywhere, my heart and soul will be there, awaiting thine presence and thine footstools. So be ever present everywhere and ready and expand and elevate and in the process others. So that quote, I love my that. Favorite. I love that. My first and primal wish has been to expand my soul to the expanses of heaven, that anywhere in the creation of thine lordship you step, the servant is there, ready for you. Incredible. What is one of the most powerful investments you've made with no money? With no money. Oh, most of my life has been uh, no money. I am the source. I create money out of no money. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was instrumental for first deals that are having historic iconic uh, status. For example, bringing the first ever sovereign wealth funds from the Arab states into China. And investing and of course it was their investment and they went through Goldman Sachs as the underwriter but I advised and I directed and I suggested and I brought that and I was involved in the proposal writings and in the understanding that the opportunity what it was and so yeah it was the collective uh, Kuwait Investment Authority, Qatar Investment Authority, Al Mal, Noor, Goldman collectively investing in Industrial Commercial Bank of China and then in the Agricultural Bank of China and club investments in the CITIC assets. Uh, they won, but uh, just the satisfaction that strategically you are the one who knew it, who brought it up, and the ministers of finance, and they acted on it, and it is in your resume. So uh, myself creating money, I, there have been cases where somebody appeared early on in my china office and i didn't know the person they came with other person that i didn't know that well and he put about two hundred thousand dollars cash in renminbi and said first take the money put it in your box safety box before i talk to you i realized i have done something good that people trust you to that point and then after i did that he said now i need this help i was a kohi enterprise uh, 1998 had 99 had already made 50 million US dollars in the early time in China out of the Ministry of Railroad by catering to switchgear boxes of telephone and telecommunications in the local stations and wanted now to do a higher level project that was satellite uh, television advertisements in the same railroad ministry but didn't have the higher level connections. So a Chinese in China who is supposed to be stronger than me, who had $50 million, who had made success from the ministry, needed my help from the higher realm of the same ministry to get special permits. And the beauty of it was exactly I took the money, half of it I gave to the organizers, who was the general in the army, the highest general of the Deng Xiaoping era, 
who had just passed away, the leader, Deng Xiaoping, who knew how to create a bridge competition and a few others. So I created the Future Trends competition, bridge competition, and created something in the world history never happened and can never happen. I brought why that is now I pause so that uh, listeners are now curious. <laughs> okay, and the power of impact. So as a foreigner in the Diaoyuda state guest house, I created after the passing of Deng Xiaoping, the largest and the highest bridge competition, which was his culture. And I brought 180 state leaders above ministers. So everybody was there, a minister of education, minister of finance, minister, uh, minister of foreign affairs, the state councillors, uh, wife of Premier Zhu Rongji, his first assistant, the son of Deng Xiaoping, the daughter of Deng Xiaoping, the general himself, and all other ministers and above, the premier, the former premier Wan Li, and also the ministers of uh, railroad. So I got the special permit in a very easy way in their playing the card, ga the card game. That was a mind card game, of course. So I got the permit. So I delivered in my promise. And I had written all my China piece, China Harmonious Society proposal, very serious proposals, signed and endorsed, and I gave it to them, to at least 100 of those leaders, and all of them took it to President Jiang Zemin. And so I had given it outside to many other dolls. So Jiang Zemin said to Minister of Education, Chen Zhili, who is this Farzam? Uh, I know all about him from before, but it comes from a hundred different doors, the same proposal. I am bound to listen to him and sign and make China become, move away from communist motto of class struggle to become harmonious society. Incredible. Yeah, so that was a way of making money from nothing. It appeared by itself. Okay, and as this doorbell has appeared by itself. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. Yeah, no problem. The idea was it appeared by itself, was given. It was a source of revenue. A good part of it went back for the delivery. The delivery was done and all the different uh, leaders were proposed uh, with this idea of a China peace and became a dominant national policy up to today. Nobody has been able to change it. And it's a deterrent against wars started by China. Incredible, incredible. Welcome. If there is one word that sets your soul on fire, what word would that be? Yeah, what my friend who just came in, Mr. Ramses, has been doing, and that is called service. Service. And of course, the word service is spoken by many. Yeah. Now, I, at the end, the thing that will set us on fire, of course, is something very unique. It, it only can be this. And it has many manifestations. Yeah. The word invariably, ultimately, is sacrifice. Love it. Nothing else can set you on fire. Service is a form of sacrifice. Whether it is martyrdom or lifelong, lifelong suffering and martyrdom for the great cause. We don't want suffering for the sake of suffering. And sacrifice in the form of service to the greater good. If you had a chance to meet your younger self as a child and to share a piece of wisdom of what you now have learned to be true in life, what wisdom would you share with your younger self? Yeah, I mean, I would tell myself, 
do whatever you did, including all the mistakes, <laughs> because they really build you. Because I realize we all know that God's tests are beautiful. They are bounties. We say, uh, uh, yeah, the, we all know if God tests us, don't be afraid of it. Take it, even though it's difficult. But we don't know that no matter it is God-given test, man-given test, nature-given test, even enemy-given test or self-inflicted test and mistake, ultimately it does nothing but good. So long as your ears and eyes are open and your motive is correct. So I have learned not to want to clean even many of the mistakes, but to draw the best lesson from them. And of course, not to repeat them. But uh, somehow, somehow you can say with the right attitude of realization, which is Gnostic knowledge I talked about drawing the blessings because you are giving out the blessings first and service and sacrifice and that realization comes exhilaration which is self-satisfaction never self-grandiose or self-aggrandizement or but but a form of peace and inner resilience often in the time of difficulties that you are in turmoil and all of a sudden you have seen that God and creation, with all the tests, whether it was your own, already several times gave a higher level and a newer. So now I become a very uh, uh, excited, exhilarant observant. Please show me the sign. What do you want out of this test? Where is the sign of the open door? Which higher level of exaltation are you leading me to? If I don't open my eye, I lose it. The test becomes the test, becomes a killer. But as soon as I keep the eye open, invariably, 100%, faithfully, there is the higher wisdoms appear. And a new physical reality or a cause or a path opens that is nothing better than exaltation of you. I have seen it too many times not to believe it anymore. Yeah. When you think of a great leader, who is the first person that comes to your mind? As I said, the leader who can replace himself the fastest. Excellent. And I have not yet seen such a leader in the temporal world. And the leaders that were the leaders that I know, okay, yes, they could. It was the Bob whom <laughs> was martyred. So he self-sacrificed to the highest and replaced himself for Baha'u'llah. And uh, so the spiritual... In the world, I have observed another thing. If you look back in history, who matter, who don't matter? So I have realized that most of the businessmen have never mattered in the history or financiers. Very few. Hatam Tai, we talk about some few great. And I saw politicians, yes, they made the greatest change and they often are remembered, but most of them are bad. Very few that are good. But if they are benevolent, they are important. But the more power of influence has been first with philosophers and with those who created poetries, poets, and then the artists. And above all of them were the messengers of God. Whether you believe in them or like them or dislike them, their physical, mental impact effect on humanity has been the largest. Whether a Buddha, Jesus Christ, Muhammad, and in that matter for the future world civilization, Baha'u'llah. So, and they are the sons of reality. So I use the analogy, I cannot be the sun. Let me be the rays of the sun of reality. Let me be the shafts. Let me be the, 
the, the reflections that takes it to the darkest corners. And yeah. Love that. What is your greatest fear? Ah, to keep fear. Because I, I, have, I have destroyed, I have tried, and you can say relative majority have destroyed the fear. So no fear, clear conscience, uh, even in some negativities that linger. Yeah. Powerful. What is your greatest version of happiness? Yeah, again, discoveries of the spiritual world. Uh, and, and this is continuous, you know, when you observe things and then all, it, it's not something that you were taught and given and even in the scriptures and you just know. Even the scriptures are like father and mother. They are hybrid between the scriptures that are the words of God to realities of your experiences. When you put them together, a new discovery, a new reality appears. To our audience and to the people listening, how can they get involved or pr provide support for one of the causes that you care dearly about? Oh yeah, my causes are many. I have summarized them to first in this, what I call staged cause, is the collective peaceful rise of Africa as delineated by Future Trends Africa Manifesto. And it is the fast uh, speed tracking uh, uprise of many African countries to become trillion dollar industries and trillion dollar economies and sovereign wealth fund, future generation fund in digital economy in a hybrid that is another one trillion dollar and put in motion processes, modeling systems, policies, mindset changes that I already did. 30 nations have adopted and are in it and it will happen from now on with or without me from a year ago that I started the process. And of course, the more people participate, the faster and the better to that realization and a situation that Africa by benchmark become wealthier than even Arab states or even the West and becomes the source of giving aid to Europe and other countries. And it is good for everyone, for US and for, for Europe and for the Arab nations. Nobody ends up with losing because a more stable and more powerful and more um, peacefully awakened and uh, risen Africa will uh, distribute the wealth to the prorated to many nations correctly from their source. And for that matter, I did the collective peace of China mm, two, three decades before that, which produced mega success. And uh, of course, a little bit has gone back, uh, but it will come again with full force. And China, as the, what I wrote, China to serve the world of humanity. And how can people be involved or yeah. support the that? The ultimate is a manifesto that I am writing. It is in my mind. It's called uh, The Future Destiny of Humanity. And I believe the entire human course of history can change and easily can change. And it is so practically doable because it's no more than 20 blind spots. And okay, the causes to participate are both, you can say, um, technical, practical. Okay, we have all the markets in the world. I have all the, I have tilted the market ground in the planet more than anyone else. That means opportunities in all sectors, starting from the ground. Agriculture, 50 product series. Mining, 30 product series. Oil and gas and energy. Alternative energy. Water, uh, environment, uh, infrastructure. And above it, uh, processing into high-tech and uh, technologies. And then into finance and to in dig digital economy. All of these in a large number of markets, I already have a leadership. 
I prepared all the market. Basically, in five elements make things happen, business happen. First, the market. You have to aggregate and prepare the market and capture it, market share. Second, local players in the market who partner with you. Third, government that masters and, ma and manages the market. Fourth, operators from either domestic or global that come in. Fifth, capital. So anyone who has any of these, uh, I already have the market, the local players in 100, 150 countries, uh, conservative sleeping 120 countries. So I have the government, the market, the local players. So I have the vast preparation of the market. It needs to be digested by players. So good owner operators who have their own either seed monies or even larger capital, which and there are people who are joining me. The money owners, they get much higher benefit because they can multiply their money through already prepared. I'm like using the analogy of Pac-Man to the goodies. I prepared all the goodies on the planet and the Pac-Man join us. They take the benefit without the risks and the markets grow and the populations benefit, the governments of the destination countries benefit, the local joint ventures benefit, and the money owners and operators, they benefit. So everybody benefits prorated manner. So I have tons of that in many industries and many companies. That is on the corporate level, company level. I have that means the largest market share prepared and tilted and prepared in advance for them. That means I have a mega multiplier factor inside the companies. We become accelerator and also scaling and by mega multiplication and ready-made resources to be imploded and utilized and digested and create both uh, sales and distribution and revenue generation and also asset annexation. So the asset growth and conglomerate creation in a shorter time, on top of which we bring even capital. Not the early stage capital, but later. This is on the company level. On the government level, they enlist because I have had histories and my teams have the histories of now affecting policies, systems, modelings that will unleash their own internal resources and players and operators on top of which we bring the international investors and operators as I mentioned. We've created like a Noah's Ark that there is a specimen of every type of industry and all the players in it and the destination is all prepared. It only now takes the smart processing centers. So I'm creating left and right with partnerships, joint ventures, smart processing centers who will do the business, the economy, the finance, and yet they are imbued with the ideals and they inject, interject the ideals of impact into the societies. And plenty of money owners who have that goodwill. So find them, join them. Excellent, excellent. This is a part of the show called Messages to Mankind where I ask our leader a hypothetical question and the question is this. If the whole world had suddenly stopped to only listen to one message from you and you are reaching every single human being on the planet, no matter where anyone is in the world, they can all understand you. And you got to carry forward only this one message to all of humanity to help make an impact. What would be your message to mankind? It's the largest blind spot that I discovered that can easily be changed. And I have seen that majority of humanity, whether they are staff workers in companies, I use the analogy that they are very little tiny mini cat that wants meow, give me my little milk and leave me alone. And I want everyone to be the lions who are go-getters and go-get. They are the ones who feed everyone else. And mine is that move away from being the passive receiver, little uh, hope, helpless, hapless cat and be the source. 
be the lion, mm. be the changer. If you did that, you discover all the other good because of the self-satisfaction of being that I am the cause of the differentiation. And of course, after that, we'll be giving that live in only positivity. Zero negativity, 100% positivity. So, and if you discover that one, this principle will change the destinies of the entire human race. Because whenever they start doing anything that is negative and they reflect on it, they choose the other side. And there is always the choice. So in the choice, we make the mistakes and we take always the negativity. Because we are not the source. Because we are passive. Because we don't see a higher light. Because we don't know the higher, better version of ourselves. Because we don't know the purpose of creation is all that exhilaration of joy, of joy of creation. Because we are wounded by the parents and by the society. And instead of reflecting to become that factory that turns the garbage into gold, we turn the gold into garbage. And all of these negativities is a kind of blind spot. Oh boy, if anyone, there are people who are the cause of so much good and all of a sudden they destroy it with one kick just because they are tied into a blind spot. And it is so simple, but they cannot fly out of it. So all of these, as I mentioned, that is one thing, is actually combating your blind spot. Dr. Farzam, I want to honor you for your commitment for being a force for transformation in the spirit of peace across Eastern and Western worlds and beyond, for being a selfless servant of humanity, for courageously being a voice for integrating harmony and unity across nations by envisioning a better way for our leaders to guide their people. Your contribution has helped reshape our world by infusing your wisdom as a catalyst for um, innovation, healing, and progress by bringing spiritual principles to light that help cultivate new ideas and relationships across countries to change foreign policies towards a more enlightened society. Most importantly, thank you for being your truest form of self, trusting your inner spirit, and as a believer in the love that exists in humanity to help create a more beautiful world. I appreciate your heart your mind, your openness, your kindness, your fearlessness, and your spirit. And thank you for joining us in the labyrinth. Thank you for your mirror of media, reflecting that a different kind of humanity exists. That nobility of humanity can be exercised, can be practiced, and also implemented. Because the tons of humanity, they like results. I'm a result. The highest ideals should be practiced. And you have given us the chance to share the lessons learned from practicing many ideals and converging them together. And uh, yeah, as I said, I found the final message, what I call the common denominator in the seemingly contradictions. Nations fight because they don't find the common denominator. They are blind spots again. And again, I believe the leader that starts a war is actually a weak leader. It's actually powerless leader. They could not have imagination to find other callings and alternative to make their supposedly enemy and the other side to become their allies. They failed. They're failures. Therefore, they resort to wars. This I like to give my message because this is a vivid game changer. If the masses of humanity 
looked at the leaders, whoever started the war, it doesn't matter, it was their own nation, and they will have a universal voice to stop of it. The plight of humanity will change. Thank you for being the peacemaker and the mirror of the ideal humanity. Practical. The honor is mine, my friend. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in the labyrinth today with our leader, Dr. Farzam Kamalabadi. To stay up to date on all the amazing things Dr. Farzam is up to, you may connect with him on WhatsApp at plus eight six one three nine zero one six eight five two one one. You may also find him on Telegram at Farzam95. And you may log on to his company website at future trends at future trends.us. Thank you to all of you leaders for listening and for believing in this show. I am humbly grateful for all of your support. My purpose for this show is to bring wisdom and stories to you from real world leaders so that you may implement these principles into your life to sculpt a stronger version of self and work towards making your dreams come true. If you found this podcast to be a value to you, I ask that you please share it with one person who you care about, who you want to see succeed in life. We will be venturing back into the labyrinth with season two soon in 2023. I believe that one of the greatest purposes of being human is to pursue the path of self-love and enlightenment, to define your own value for yourself, to understand the power of your mind and use it to create, to push ourselves beyond our comfort zones and believe in our ability to achieve greatness, to affect change through the art of discipline, service, and kindness, to be a practitioner of present moment awareness and honesty, and to always be relentless in the pursuit of life's magic. Awaken the leader within, and remember to ignite your light.